welcome to the Wellbeing and Career World podcast. I'm delighted to be chatting with self-proclaimed glam grandma who knows how to get you to eat your veggies. I will test this theory later on. Lynn has been featured at Women's Expos throughout the country, speaking on kitchen table culture, community planning and the gift of diabetes. She teamed up with actress Deirdre Hall to write and publish Deirdre Hall's Kitchen Close-Up and Deirdre Hall's How Does She Do It? In a previous life, she worked with Silicon Valley companies as a creative director, winning national awards. She was creative director at E&J Gallo Winery, advertising manager at Redken Laboratories, and held various other positions with agencies and clients in San Jose, Los Angeles, and on the East Coast. She has also worked as an actress, makeup artist, screenwriter, illustrator, legal journalist, my word, television weather person, she is the mother of three grown children with one absolutely perfect grandchild. I think there might be two now. We have to double check that one later on. And one more on the way. What can this woman not do? Today we'll be chatting about techniques to reduce the effects of type 2 diabetes. A very warm welcome to the podcast, Lynn Bowman. Thank you. Wow, that was star power right there. I didn't take one breath. I held my breath all the time, Lynn. Absolutely amazing. Do you want to clarify, you have two grandchildren now or one? I do. I now have a three-week-old grandson. Folks, if you're not grandparents yet, I hope someday you can be or you can borrow <laughs> a baby and enjoy it the way I'm <laughs> enjoying this one. Uh, it's the best. It's just the best. And can we get their names, Lynn, the grandchildren? Yes. Uh, first grandchild is Helen, named after my mother and, uh, you know, another grandmother. That was a great old name. And the new boy is Wolf. Wolf. Wow, that's unusual. Is what, you know, why, why Wolf? It's traditional, actually. His last name is Erickson. Um, and, you know, people have heard Wolf Blitzer and certain other names, but somehow it just, when people hear it, they go, whoa, wait. It's, it's not that unusual, but it's, um, it's fitting, I think, in this case. They, he lives in Reno, Nevada. And uh, the University of Nevada at Reno has the Wolf Pack as their uh, <laughs> as their oh their um, you know, symbol. And if you if you are a mountain person or a snow person, uh, and you've ever heard that howl, it never leaves you. It's a very special kind of a totem, and so I think it's wonderful. I'm yeah, happy. very unique. Hello, Wolf. Hello, Helen. You can listen to podcasts. It'll probably put you to sleep when you hear my voice, but not, not your grandmother's. Anyway, Lynn, yeah, yeah. So thanks, thanks for joining me today. So where are you now on planet Earth? I am in really spectacular little corner of California that is off of Highway 1. Many people have come to San Francisco and driven down Highway 1, and you would have driven right by it because it's two miles back off the ocean in an agricultural area. Uh, people don't think of California as being agriculture, really, but uh, it is. And I'm also surrounded by redwoods. Uh, and I, I, my husband and I found a funny old uh, kind of rundown 140-year-old farmhouse and have been working on it ever since. And uh, I love it. And I love my redwoods. We have all kinds of wonderful wildlife. We have a small farm and are learning how to grow food. Here um, we have some old trees that we love and we cherish and take care of. Um, and I'm surrounded by a lot of people who are deeply involved in the regenerative 
agriculture movement. That's thrilling to me and a great adjunct to the work that I do because it's all about good food. Where does it come from? What is it? How can we get people to stop eating crap and start (laughs) eating good food? Uh, And so as I look out my window, you know, there are uh, beautiful trees and birds and uh, squirrels and all kinds of critters um, who make up the, the, the cycle of eating. You know, it's all one. It's so make me jealous, Liv. What's the temperature like right now in California? You can give me Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit is in the 60s right oh, now. Oh, nice. Because okay. where I am, it's quite cool. It's beach, but it won't get much cooler than that is the magic. It might go down to, I mean, we occasionally get a freeze at night uh, and wake up very excited because there's frost on the ground and that's beautiful and wonderful. We don't get any snow, needless to say. But here where I am, it doesn't get hot. It, it it gets a couple of times a year, it'll get up maybe into the low 90s. But as many people all over the world have been reading, we've had these horrendous fires. And one of them last summer, big, huge one, came to within a quarter of a mile of our house. We were told to evacuate and we did. And anyone who's done that feels this, as I say it, it's one of the most emotional things ever to be told you have to get out of your house and you may never get back in ever. It may be gone. So we, we were evacuated for three weeks and finally we're able to get back in and no damage had been done. And you really can't see the burned forest from where we are. It's just on the other side of a little ridge behind our house, but a great deal of this San Mateo County coast burned. Wow. That's quite frightening, isn't it? It's, it's, horrific and it doesn't make us any different than people in so many other parts of the world it's it's a thing it's real it's happening and there are things we can do and let's do them you know let's let's make the changes we need to make and do what we can do we can't fix all of it but we can fix some of it so and a big part of this as 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 you know i think david my book Brownies for breakfast is about eating a whole food, plant-based diet. And a lot of people immediately go, oh, thanks. No, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's a thing that strikes fear in the heart of meat eating folks and you're Irish and and I know, and, and I know, I know what, what uh, an Irish plate often looks like. Oh, yes. Um, an Irish chew. It's not very plant-based. There is some plants no, in it, but there's a lot of meat as well. Yeah. No, occasionally you'll wave an onion over some of it. And that's, oh, yes. <laughs> uh, so, and so we have, we have work to do as in the, I'll just go, go from the United States. We are creating horrible pollution by the way we're growing animals. Um, And, you know, I'm not gonna say that everyone in the whole world should immediately become a vegan. That's unrealistic, I think. But if I do want people to know where their food comes from, know where your animal food especially comes from. And I find it hilarious, American culture is hilarious in many ways, that people spend a great deal more time and energy trying to figure out what to feed their poodle than their kids or themselves. And people are very, very conscious of animals. And yet 
we have this kind of, I don't know, horrible disregard of the factory farming system. So even though my book is ostensibly addressed to diabetics and the people who love them, the prescription is the same for anyone who's interested in good health for themselves or for the planet. It's stop eating crap, stop eating animals that are raised in an unhealthy way and creating a ton of pollution, stop eating factory made food. Golly, if you go in a store and I I haven't been in a grocery store in Ireland ever, uh, I've landed in Ireland. Just Google. I'll tell you later on off air. We'll we'll tell you to Google one or two of the uh, supermarkets. Okay. Yeah. And, And I don't shop in grocery stores for reasons which will become obvious as I keep talking. Um, We raise a lot of our own food. I have neighbors who are farmers. And so we buy as much of our food locally as we can. And then there are, and now you can get food delivered that's pretty darn good. You know, our food supplies delivered. There's some of these wonderful new services that have popped up. And, but I did go to a grocery store, big supermarket the other day, and I was just stunned and and you wouldn't think so. I write about this stuff, but you walk in and you walk through a mile and a half of bakery before you can get anywhere else in the store. Right. So everywhere on all sides, it's donuts and pies and, you know, cookies and everything, sugar and flour. So you walk through all that and then you turn a corner and now you have two or three more aisles of booze, liquor. I'm not a teetotaler, but I, I was like, wait, this is a grocery store? Yeah. And so what, as, as a former marketing person, what became clear to me again, it brought back the memory that here is where their money is made. Yeah. This is where the profit is in the bakery items, in the booze. And now I turn the corner and come around the corner. I'm in frozen foods, but I'm using the word foods lightly because as you walk along and look at what's in those freezer cabinets, it's ice cream, which is almost entirely sugar and badly raised milk products, right. plus a lot of chemicals. So then you, t- so, okay, so where in this grocery store, I've walked for how many aisles now, where in this grocery store do I find the food? Is yes. there food here anywhere? The where non-processed. Yeah, no, no, I get you. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like they're kind of, they're kind of say, kind of teasing us, right? First is the bread, smells so nice. Yes. Then you're gonna yes. need some drink. <laughs> then you're gonna yes. need some, some some ice cream to finish yeah. it off. <laughs> and as someone who raised three kids as a single mom, I've done my time at, at 10 p.m. in a grocery store. You're exhausted. You're hungry. Your kids are, you know, whatever. I, I get it. Um, and so they figure, okay, this will get her. And and nowadays too, a new thing in grocery stores, I understand, and I have seen it with my own eyes, is all the grab and go food in the yes. front of the store. Mm-hmm. So, so there's dinner, there's lunch, you just grab these things. So now you've got this highly packaged bunch of stuff. You're going to eat the bad food and then throw away all of the bad wrapping. Um, and this hasn't done you any good at all. It saved you some time, maybe. But um, a- another kind of main theme of what I talk about to diabetics, other people with chronic disease or people who don't want chronic disease, that is that it doesn't just cost you your health, it makes you uh, bankrupt. 
it takes all the money you have. So we don't think about this as we're chomping on those donuts and eating those hamburgers and so on. Cause yeah, they're, they taste good and I'm hungry, but you keep doing that. And over the years, what you're doing is destroying not only your health, but you're destroying your future because being unhealthy costs you in the United States an enormous amount of money, more than most people can afford. And most of the bankruptcies in this country are health related. It's, 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 it's interesting you say that it's uh there's there's a family of mine i mean they they pay i don't probably not the same amount of money as they pay in the states for health insurance but i think they pay between the two of them they're in their 70s and i think they pay about 900 euro a month mm-hmm. just to which is expensive i think just for private health care i don't know how much it is in america is it much more than that is it so oh, or is it specific be, to it, 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 there's a range but it's extremely expensive but what's shocking to people is when they finally do have to use their insurance they do become ill or their kids do or their parents do they think their insurance is going to pay for stuff and you get that phone call oh we're sorry right. <laughs> this doesn't qualify <laughs> under you know page 47 paragraph b so it, it's, it's it's very inhumane isn't it it's sickening (laughs) in the true sense of the word it really is and um in my case david i you know i I, people say well what started you on this little uh mission of yours and in my case i lost my mother when i was 18 she was in her 40s and she had a chronic disease a kidney disease and she had been ill for some time and so i got a very up close look at what chronic disease does to a family. Right. It, it, it's just devastating. You know, kids lose their parents, the parents lose their financial standing. My dad sold the house, my dog was given away. When you're when you're a kid, even 18, and I was putting on, of course, a very brave face through all of this. I thought I was quite adult, but literally my life ended when she died, I, I, you know, everything that I had known pretty much was gone. And people don't understand that most chronic disease is preventable. Hers wasn't, but diabetes, type two diabetes is largely preventable and the effects of it are preventable and it's reversible in many ways. And heart disease, same thing. It, this isn't a hundred percent, you know, there are definitely things that just come out of the blue and they're going to hit you and you couldn't help it. But most of it, and the statistics aren't hard to find, are most of chronic disease in the United States and now worldwide. We are spreading this, by the way. I'm sorry to say this, but the United States has spread, like a pandemic, bad food. Even your Irish traditional food <laughs> isn't as bad as, as Doritos, right? Or yeah. the food that you associate with the United States, you know, bags of potato chips and and um, Everything is mass produced, isn't it, Lynn? I mean, if you look at it, and we bought some lemons there, I think it was a few days ago, and we only placed them out on the table where the fruit, fruit bowl is, and they went rotten. And it's as if they're getting the fruit, they're freezing it. And yeah. when they take it off out of the freezer, they put it on the, the shelves to sell. And yes. it does it goes off very quickly. 
So I, what I try to do is now I try to buy frozen vegetables because at least I know the frozen vegetables, once I, once I take them out of the supermarket, put it back into a freezer, they're and still that's a good freshness. strategy. That's yeah. a great strategy. And people ask me, are you losing nutritional value when you eat frozen foods? No, typically no. You're way better off because those foods get frozen immediately. They're picked yeah. and they're frozen. And so one of my tricks that I will share with you now, because I think the reason I'm on this podcast is because I said I knew how to get people to eat their veggies. Is that correct? Go ahead. Tell me. Tell me, Lynn, how are you going to get me to eat my veggies? Well, one, do you have a blender? I do. Yes. Okay. That's huge. Doesn't have to be fancy. Um, Do you eat smoothies? Do you drink smoothies? I do. All right. If you have in your freezer, a bag of chopped spinach, a bag of frozen peas, you always have the makings of a really nutritious smoothie because all you need to do is dump that spinach in your smoothie, frozen, makes it cold, dump some of those lovely sweet peas in your smoothie. And that's great protein, by the way. Another question that comes up for me so often is you're vegan or you're pescatarian. Um, how do you get your protein? Well, peas are genius. They're adorable, round, good little form factor. They're sweet and they're full of protein. So in your smoothie, if you've got some berries or some really tasty fruit that you love, whether it's mangoes or um, oranges or whatever, if you put some spinach in there and put some peas in there, you won't taste them. It's as if they just disappear into the, and my favorite would be blueberries or blackberries because they have enormous deep flavor they're some of the most nutritious food you can eat, like on a list of, if I only had 10 foods and I could eat them, what would they, I would want you to eat blackberries okay. and or blueberries. So that combination in a blender and you've eaten your veggies, right? You've tricked me. You've tricked me, Havlin. I can now, I can now know that if I pop in some berries, some blackberries, spinach and peas, I'm getting my veggies. There you go. <laughs> you are getting even better than your veggies. You're yeah. getting all those uh, antioxidants from the, the fruit and it's delicious. And I don't know if you have little ones at your house, uh, you know, seniors that are difficult, but almost anybody, if you hand them a gorgeous pink smoothie yes. that's frozen, don't announce, please, that it's full of spinach. Right. or peas or whatever, just hand it to them. They will not go, ew, they'll drink it and go, oh, that's really good. Um, so that's that's a secret that that's, and lots of fruits, of course, easy to put in smoothies, but there are other vegetables. I use arugula. <laughs> Is arugula a joke in Ireland? Do people arugula? laugh? About arugula? What's arugula? Excuse my ignorance. Is it a different name for some, something else? Is it? It's also called rocket lettuce. Ah, oh, rocket lettuce. There we go. Yes, yes, okay. we have rocket lettuce here. Yes, we do. <laughs> All right. You're so up to date. I love it. Um, it's it's so important to eat dark greens. Dark. Right. Many of us eat lettuce, you know, kind of light lettuce and, and other kind of more manageable vegetables. But dark greens confound some people. So I'm talking about collards and uh, chard. And if you can possibly manage to get those dark greens into your face two or three times a day, I guarantee your health will improve. 
It's a thing most people don't do. And it's a thing that will make your gut health better. It will make your skin look better. It, it will fill you up without adding calories. It's just genius food. So you need to find a way to do that. So number one, blender. Number two, the Irish are better about this than the Americans. And that's soup. Soup. Oh, yes, yes. We love our do soups. You, do you eat soup often? I do. I'm trying to branch out because, as you've mentioned already, Irish people were generally, we like to eat Irish stew, which has a bit of meat and a bit of veg. But I do try right. to branch out with the uh, the more healthier options. But you're going to tell me which one are the, are the healthiest. Well, vegetables, lots of vegetables and no meat <laughs> and, and relatively little fat. That's the principle. But people don't know how fabulous and tasty soups can be one recipe that I have that I, I want you to make and then let me know what you think because for some well here's two men seem to really love these two one is mushroom soup oh, yes. that is made with nothing but sliced mushrooms a little bit of vegan butter onions a lot of onions you saute you add broth and you cook for an hour and you put it in your blender and people are just wait what that's all you do mm -hmm. that's all you do and, and it's it cheap as well, Lynn, isn't it? It's not too expensive. It's not expensive. Yeah. And it it is a great gravy. It's a great sauce. It is great on a casserole. It's, it's genius food. It's just so easy, which takes me to my next soup because okay. we call it in the book genius soup. And that's kind of what any Italian or French grandma typically is going to have going in her kitchen. And it's a base of of um, onions and carrots and celery chopped up and you saute it and then you add greens, lots of greens. You, have, you, you open up that fridge and you reach down in the back of the fridge where you have those kind of sorry looking, that cabbage that's, you know, kind of questionable. <laughs> you clean out all those greens. You cut off the really icky stuff, but you, you chop some greens, you put it in there. I always put some preserved tomatoes, some fresh tomatoes, some canned tomatoes, some kind of a sweetness in there, and then broth. And you cook it for a long time. And now people have instant pots, so you can do it in an instant pot too, or a crock pot. But you cook it for a long time. You season it with your favorite seasonings. I suggest things in the book. But then, so you've got your soup all set. And then the next night, you can poach a little fish in it. The night after that, you can add a little impossible burger or whatever, if you want to, or some um, nutritional yeast flakes or some pasta. I have lots of suggestions and there are ways the soup going all week and it's something different every night. Tortilla soup, you know, put a little salsa, um, add a little lemon or lime. It, it's so basic and so easy and you will have eaten a ton of veggies. Can you freeze these, these soups, Lynn? I mean, when you make Absolutely. them, can you freeze them? Right. Absolutely. Yes, that's part of the genius. You just put them in a jar, leave some room at the top so it doesn't explode, and throw them in your freezer. And, and so easy to pull out. And again, and I raised a bunch of kids, and I had a career, and uh, the kind of career where the hours were like, no, you just stay until the job got done. So my superpower was how to put a meal on the table in 15 minutes, throw it on. I always, I felt it was really important that I 
eat with my children. I wanted us to eat together as a family because growing up, the table was where I felt I learned everything. And I wanted my children to have that experience at the table. And, and so let's look again at how people are eating now. They're driving through and they're eating in their cars. Not yeah, you. No, you're right. Everything's hurry, 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 rush, rush, rush. And you're right. not getting the nutrients. Yeah, no, you're right. So can I ask you then, if we take a step back a little bit, what was it like working under those stress, so under a stressful environment, say in, say in Silicon Valley? I mean, was Silicon Valley stressful? Oh, honey. <laughs> <laughs> On a scale of one to 10, how stressful was it? And it how, did you, how did you overcome it then? It was a 10. But you need to have the backstory a little bit, which was I arrived in California. I I grew up here, but then I went east and uh, married briefly. And that's a whole other story. Next book. Um, (laughs) And I arrived by train in California with kids two, three and four and no money, no nothing. I I lived in my sister's driveway for uh, a few weeks until I could sort of lie my way into, but it was 1980. So what was happening was there was this explosion of this new business, the microcomputer revolution. And my sister sat me down to an Apple, whatever, with a first Apple and, and said, no, no, you're gonna learn how to do this. You, you have to, and I went, well, I can't, no. And she said, no, you need to learn how to do this. So I, I learned how to do it very quickly. And I thought, and then all of a sudden I, I could see the magic of this stuff that I had always done on a typewriter. All of a sudden now here, I could correct things instantly and I didn't have to reprint. And it was so at the same time, I realized that people were paying twice, three times what I had made in the East for women to come to work for them um, to do these things because they were desperate for talent. They were so desperate, they were willing to take women to do these things. And I had a good book as a writer, as a creative person, art director. And all of a sudden I was was getting freelance work um, and it, it was good work. And they, at the time, the thought was that you couldn't do this work if you weren't an engineer, if you weren't a technologist. And I would say to people, wrong, because nobody can understand what you're talking about. You need someone who can interpret the technology in an ad biz kind of way. And they all, oh, that makes sense. So I'm fortunate to have been kind of in at the beginning of this whole new industry, but it was going so fast, so hard, and people just couldn't keep up with it. It was really crazy. I I had these three little kids, and in those days, you couldn't tell anybody you had kids because they'd go, oh, you know, no thanks. Uh, That immediately identified you as someone who wasn't serious, you know, about the work. Um, But I somehow managed, and sometimes my sister helped me, I sometimes wonder how in the heck I did it, but I would get up at five in the morning and put on the full face of makeup and the individual eyelashes and the outfit and the whole thing and pile the kids in the car and go off um, to do this crazy business. 
uh, and people were making huge money right and left, not me. I mean, I was, I managed to, to raise my children. I'm proud to say that. Um, but it was just, the competition was horrendous. The new things coming out every day. What did, was you do, Lynn, did you do like acting and were you a makeup artist and a screenwriter during this as well? No, that, that goes back to uh, having grown up in LA which is a company town. Everybody I knew was making movies and modeling and so on. So that was what was available for me to do. And I, I did it, you know, when people say, Hey, you want to do this? So, yeah, sure. Again, having to do within those days, it was help wanted men and help wanted women. Right. So we didn't go out looking for that great job. We just went out looking for anything we could get, you know, that yes. would would feed us or pay us something. And then we were grateful when, when we got that thing. So totally different world. And again, I have my, the numbers here, I had my first full-time paid job in an advertising agency in 1966. Wow. Okay. So what does that tell you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how do you say the stereotype that, especially me, I'd have of America. I mean, you're, you're, it's coming across things were tough because we hear all these wonderful songs from Neil Diamond, you know, on the boats and on the planes, they're coming to America, all this type of, you know, and, and James Brown songs, Living in America. But it seems to be, you really got to work. You know, you really got to work hard. Americans admire two things. They admire wealth and work. Yeah. And I will admit that I grew up with that, ethos that I believed that work was important and holy and and I wanted to work. I left UCLA after three semesters um, because I saw much more interesting things going on in the world of work. And I immediately went to Europe. Uh, and um, that's again, that, that'll be in the next book. Uh, but I'll get you back on for the next book. Good. Okay, <laughs> great. But Americans are about work and, and you could, I think that's one of the difficulties now is that things are kind of slowing, grinding down a bit so that you can't always be sure there's work for you. Yes. In the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s, there was work for, it seemed like everyone. It didn't matter what your background was or whether you had a degree or not, whatever, there was work. and. And Americans are famously very inventive folks. We're brawlers. Right? <laughs> We're, we have that in common, I think, with the Irish. Um, and um, my son used to say, yeah, what's interesting about democracy in the United States is it's like your neighbors that come out on the lawn to have their fights. Yes. <laughs> it's just that you can see them. They're, yes. they're a mess. <laughs> no, you know? There's no hiding. Yes. They're fighting in public. Um, that's that's what it is to be an American in a way. So what's it like living in California? I mean, is it as glamorous as what we see on television? Is it, yes. I mean, I mean, you yes. mentioned the, the, the hard work there, but you're obviously saying yes, yes, so it must be true. So tell me, why, why is it yes, 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 for living in California? <laughs> well, um, again, I grew up in, in Southern California, so there was a lot of glamour around then, but I, I never thought too much about, I, I didn't want to be in show business. I could see what show business was doing to people, particularly women. 
you know, you, you had to make a bargain with the devil pretty much right. to be in that business. And I was too cheeky and too, I don't know what, too arrogant, too pushy. I wasn't going to just do what they told me to do, you know, no matter what. But uh, I certainly had friends in the business. And yes, we loved dressing and um, showing up at the restaurants and all that sort of thing. And in fact, when I came to London in 1966, London was where it was happening. Right. That was the thing. Um, the models, Twiggy, you know, was was the girl of the moment and um, the, the fashions, the styles. And I, I was in awe of the fabulousness of London and in, and in Paris. I sold newspapers on the street uh, to survive, but it was Paris. And so that was what I called glamour. Um, now, looking back, I told my granddaughter the other day, it came as news to her that her grandma was a hippie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was me. You know, we would drive up the coast of California uh, to Big Sur and um, have what they call now raves, but parties in the woods, you know, on the beach until all hours. And um, there were all kinds of substances flying around that no one understood or dealt with very well, I think. what saved me was I liked to work and I wanted to be back at work on Monday. So, and can you <laughs> and name drop anybody, Lynn? Who's the most famous person you've seen or met in your whole life? Oh, golly. Um, name I, drop I, anybody. I have a few. Uh, a person that I, I love to mention because I'm an admirer of, he actually wrote about me in his first book. His name is Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. Well, there's a back. funny backstory about that, but I won't mention it. I think there was, there was a funny movie about the, uh, that. Yes. Cream was Speaking in. Is of that correct? aircraft. Yes. Right? Airplane movie. I remember. Very funny. Okay. But, but I didn't meet him as a celebrity. I met, we were together at UCLA. I was a sophomore. He was a freshman. Right. And we were friends and um, saw each other again later in life. And he's, he's an amazing human being. A wonderful, wonderful guy. But the story that I like to tell is the kids is that I I lived with a couple of other women briefly uh, in Venice, California, which is the beach. Just if you keep going through Santa Monica and you hit the sand and you turn left, you're in Venice, California. <clears throat> and it was in the kind of rundown artsy beach community. And so these women and I had a place, I think it was $75 a month, wow. the second floor flat this old house, uh, very cool place. And these guys across the street kept playing this awful music all night long. They would never shut up. They were rehearsing their music and it was horrible. (laughs) And we just couldn't get through to them. And it was this guy named Jim Morrison and his friend. And the Grateful Dead in their early iteration actually played at my brother's wedding. I mean, it was because they were, were were in the same area, right? I mean, L.A. was, and I used to, I hung out at the Troubadour, um, and I hung out at the Palomino Club. In those days, That's that was what we did. And so, yes, I, I rode the bus with some musicians 
Mm -hmm. oh, wow. That you might know their names. So um, this is the hippie part again, is it? You're coming back to the hippie? This is the hippie part. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But cherished memories. The music has always been important to me. I love it. Um, I'm really into swamp rock now. What's I'm, swamp rock? Swamp rock is, guys, it's kind of like white blues, but these very wonderful mixed bands that come out of the deep south. And I could, I could, got named J.J. Gray, fabulous lyrics, wonderful, deep rhythms. Um, they've never like made it to the tippy top of American culture or record sales, but I think these guys are genius and I love listening to it. And I also just, I want to do, if I do a podcast, I'm going to do a, a Granny Loves Swamp Rock. Podcast. All right, that's yeah. Do it. I'm sure there's lots of people out there that would uh, love to do a swamp rock granny. That'd be granny really pop. fun. It's funny. So yeah, growing up in LA was was a crazy world in the '60s. You know, it's, a, it's amazing with the Kareem stories because the anytime and friends of mine are the same. Anytime you're feeling a bit sad or down, you want a cheering up. You put that airplane movie on. Yes, and it's the 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 funniest. They don't make movies like that anymore. And one of the funniest scenes is when they're on a takeoff. They're taking off and it's Captain Roger or Captain Over under Roger. And they're all so confused. And it's just, it just really does cheer you up. But anyway, let's move on then to how did you find out you had type 2 diabetes? And was there signs and symptoms you had or did you go through tests? Yes, I found out because I had what's called gestational diabetes. Uh, it happens to a lot of women. The, the um, mechanics of being pregnant changes your chemistry and it can trigger uh, type two diabetes. And, but in back in the dawn of time, when I was having my children in the seventies, they didn't always test for it. They didn't always understand it. And so when my first child, my son was born and he weighed 10 pounds just under, uh, and I'm not a large person. Um, and he was six weeks overdue, which they don't let you do that anymore. But then the, the doctor said, you know, I, we think you had gestational diabetes. So um, you are going to have to watch out when you are a little older in your 40s. It's quite likely to develop as type 2 diabetes. And so I went on about my life and had more kids and did stuff. And I kept then as I got close to 40 or into my 40s, I would ask, should you test me? Should, and they go, oh, no, no, you're not overweight and you're healthy and you're fine. And then I finally got someone to do a, a, a hemoglobin A1C test, which if you're not familiar with it, you need to know what that is. You, everybody needs to have a hemoglobin A1C test at some point, hopefully in your early 40s um, or late 40s. And it tells you the behavior of your blood glucose over a period of time. And sure enough, I was over the limit of what was considered healthy. And that changes a little bit from time to time, but it was a clear indication that I was headed in this direction. So I began to try and learn about it and read about it and find out, well, what do I eat? Well, what don't I eat? Well, what can I help this? Can I fix this? And discovered that there was really a terrible paucity of information out there that made any sense to me at all. And it was communicated badly. I took a couple of those classes that they want you to take, nutrition classes, and I would walk out, scratch my head. As time went on, 
I, I just became more and more interested in how widespread this disease was and how badly it seemed to be treated by the medical community. You know, let's talk about food. And as you know, it's changing a little bit now, but it's uh, not unknown that the worst food in the universe is typically served at hospitals. Right. Uh, and that medical doctors have notoriously not been trained in nutrition. They get like an hour in all of their training um, as MDs. They are not trained in nutrition. So there's now this interesting revolution taking place. Some people call it the food revolution. You know, it's kind of the new medicine. It's holistic medicine. But so many of us, and it's also a mixing of cultures because it, we're borrowing from the Ayurvedic tradition and from acupuncture and all these other, other ways of looking at medicine from around the world. And we're coming up with very effective ways to treat people, treat diseases and keep people healthy that don't involve uh, pharmacology, that don't involve medicine as we've seen it in the past, Western medicine. So I'm, I'm definitely not unique. I'm, I'm one of many voices who are wanting to get the word out that if you don't want to be sick, you need to eat and move and sleep. And another, we're not even talking about sleep yet, David. Sleep yes. is so huge in part mm -hmm. of this. And you talk about how the stress, you know, in Silicon Valley culture when I look around now, the stress level of especially the family, the mothers who are taking kids to school or keeping kids home because of COVID, the moms have full-time high-pressure jobs. They're also responsible for their kids' homework and so on and their own health. And they're never sleeping. Everybody seems to think that they can make it up on the sleep end of things. Like, that's all right. I'll, I'll do my laundry at 2 a.m. No, it's horrendous. And it's, we're paying a, a price uh, with people's health. One of the things that I really like to talk about with people is the value of deep sleep. And that means sleep, you know, the REM sleep that happens only when you are really, your, all your systems are turned off and you're about sleeping. That's all you're doing. Yes. And it's, um, it, it's, it's one sentence that, when I learned this, I was like, wow, didn't know that. And I want everyone to know this. And that is, you can only heal when you're in deep sleep. So That's can you tell the listeners how many hours on average should we be getting of sleep per night? Uninterrupted well, sleep. And I, and I want to emphasize quality sleep. It, it, you know, it, it's not just putting your head on the pillow, but at least seven and nine is good. Um, and it depends, you know, some people can get by on a little less, um, it, it, you know, some people brag about four hours or five hours a night. I think there may be some people in the universe who are genetically inclined and who can get by on a small amount of sleep, but that's not you. Yes. <laughs> right? and that's not me. Um, and <clears throat> particularly if you're active and you you're maybe you've got sore muscles or you've had some surgery or whatever if there is something even 
even when your teeth need to heal, when you've had a little oral surgery, you need more sleep and better sleep. So <clears throat> can I ask then, then your, your, so what symptoms then, I mean, can you explain to the listeners what's the difference between type one diabetes and type two diabetes? Is one more serious than the other? Yes. In that, if you have type one diabetes, typically they used to call it youth diabetes. Typically it is diagnosed in children, it makes people very ill. It, you have tremendous thirst. You can't uh, process food properly. You're fatigued. And it used to kill a lot of children. And then with the discovery of, I don't know, it was in the early, early uh, 20th century, the discover of insulin, uh, they realized that they could keep children alive. And so the, the key difference between type one and type two diabetes is that type one diabetics are insulin dependent. They, there are a lot of people who are, they claim to be reversing type one diabetes with food and exercise. And I'm not gonna say it's not true. I just, that's not my area of expertise at all. But type one means you cannot produce insulin, which means you cannot process your food. You can't digest your food and convert your food to energy in your muscles. Type two diabetes means that you have a, a difficulty with producing insulin or with processing insulin. Now they, they call it insulin resistance. So it, it, you, the simple explanation is that your hemoglobin A1C, your, your blood glucose is high. It's too high because you are unable to process it and take it up into your muscles as energy. So type one is must be medically treated and it much more damaging, but type two just takes a lot longer to do its damage. If you don't treat type two diabetes, it can turn to blindness, it, it becomes numbness and neuropathy in your fingers and hands. You can lose limbs. You, you probably know of people in your circle or people you've read about who've lost feet or legs to diabetes. It can cause blindness. It, it's, it's crippling, untreated. I'm looking at you here, Lynn, and person suffering from diabetes, you don't fit the picture that I'm looking at right now. You look, you look amazing. You look healthy. I mean, has it always been like this for you? I mean, yes. do you get up in the morning sometimes <laughs> and you're like, oh, God, not another morning to get up? Or do you get those days still? Or Of course I do. Of course I do. And I'm 75. So, you know. I've, you don't I've look got... 75. Honestly, you don't look. When we get the picture out, when we're showing your image for the podcast, people will be shocked. You don't look 75 at all. Well, it's one of the reasons that I think I was encouraged to do this work. My <laughs> kids said to me, it's okay. Go ahead. Be the poster girl. It's all right. Because the message is important that this is what 75 looks like. This is what 75 feels like. If you eat your veggies, David. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I'm, I'm hearing you loud. And clear. All right. If you take care of yourself, if you drink your water, if you sleep 
And if you move your buns, if you do get, and I'm, I do, I have a workout class three days a week, which I love. And it's a Pilates TRX kind of thing. And I highly recommend that anyone who is able to do it in any way, because it's social also, it's wonderful to have a class and be taught the right way to move your body and stretch and so on. But anything that you can do that gets you moving, even if it's just walking, and, and when I say just walk, walking's great, walking's brilliant, but there is no escaping that you have to move, you have to sleep, and you have to eat your veggies. Eat your veggies. Okay. Well, if you had to eat my veggies, let's go back to your book now, uh, yes. Brownies for Breakfast. So what would be the most delightfully tasty treat in your book, which is non-veggie related? I have you on the spot now. Non-veggie related? Are they all veggie related? Should we talk about the brownies? Let's do it. Let's okay. talk about the brownies. Okay. The brownies are made with nut butter and pumpkin okay, and spices well. and egg substitute. And there is no extra oil, no flour, no butter, and no sugar. I, I bake my baked goods with monk fruit, typically. There are a couple of, and I explain in the book, I, I devote several pages actually to what the sugar substitutes are and the pluses and minuses. Because people don't, a lot of advances have been made and there are some really terrific sugar substitutes out there. So the thing that I haven't said to you, you're going to have to hear this from me. Okay. No sugar, David, no sugar. None. You promise None. no sugar at all. No sugar. Oh my word. Um, okay. If you only do one or two things to improve your health, not eating sugar is maybe the best thing you can do. For one thing, you save your teeth. People don't really, people are walking around with their Starbucks cup all day. Yes. And if you ask your dentist, your dentist will explain to you that she is seeing patients who are rotting their teeth out with frappahoodie coffee <laughs> because they're all sugar and cream and stuff, but largely sugar. And you're holding that sugar against your teeth all day. Our teeth are, you know, the gateway to your body. And so when you have dysfunction in your teeth or infection, whatever, it's affecting your whole body. So drink your coffee black, basic black. And the and things like this brownie, the famous brownie of brownies for breakfast, I guarantee if you don't tell anybody, if you just make these and put them on the table and say, look, honey, I made you brownies. Um, they are not going to go, ooh, or there's something funny about these brownies. They're going to go, these are the best brownies I've ever had. These are fantastic. How'd you do this? They're moist. They're delicious. Big part of the problem with eating healthy is just getting rid of the sort of prejudices that people have about eating healthy or eating vegan or being a pescatarian. I, I'm a hedonist. I love to eat and I want delicious food and I want sweets and I want my food to be beautiful on the plate. So I think you can do that better if you're eating more vegetables and fruits and fewer sausage patties, um, bangers. Bangers <laughs> on mash. That's a <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, a substitute that I offer that is, is not a secret, except I have some twists on it that are pretty good, 
is for example, instead of mashed potatoes, if you put uh, steamed cauliflower in that blender of yours with some vegan butter and the uh, couple of spices that I will suggest, it's better than mashed potatoes. It's delicious. It's absolutely wonderful. And you're eating cauliflower. It is. It's, it's, I'm actually, I'm being nosy at the moment. I'm on Amazon and uh, you have some fantastic reviews on Amazon of your book. Um, I'm going to read one or two out here. I'm being very, very nosy. Not that I wasn't listening to you. I oh, was no, listening I love to. this kind of nosy. This is good. I'm, I'm just really multitasking good. at the moment. Unfortunately, okay. that's, that's the pilot in me. We've been trained to multitask as we as we go along. Uh, but no, some really, really, I mean, it's one, one I won't say who the, who the reviewer is, but don't be misled by the title. This is not just a sugar-free, as you said, Lynn, sugar-free dessert recipe book. Of course, there are desserts, but you'll find countless recipes that are appropriate for every season and mood. Soups, as you've mentioned, uh, like red pepper, snacks. He, what's, the person has written, he granola. Is that a special granola? Hey granola? Or hey granola? Maybe they're being excited. I don't know. Uh, who doesn't love mac and cheese? There's simple salmon, super yummy. These these are the reviews, uh, the people that have actually bought your book. So where else can you buy the book? You can, now again, in Ireland, I don't know. In the United States, you can buy it at any independent bookstore. You just have to ask. They will probably have to order it for you. Uh, because they all, most of them buy from the same wholesaler, which is Ingram Sparks. So it's um, distributed the way most any book is distributed, but please do ask for it. That helps me. Um, so of course you can buy it directly on Amazon and have it sent to you right away. You can, I, I'm not sure if we're listed on Apple books yet, but I hope to be any day now. Um, There's Apple books now, is there? Yeah. I'm way behind the times. You can actually order a paperback or is it a digital format? An inexpensive way to experience the book and see what you think is to order it uh, just a download. You can definitely get that on Amazon as well as the paperback or a hardback. Um, and, and hopefully it will be available through Apple Books one way or the other soon. Working on it. Well, but it's, in, it's in, according to your website, you have, you're in Amazon, you're in IndieBound, Barnes & Noble. These are big, big uh, uh, bookstores and uh, bookshop well i mean you have some fantastic reviews i'm looking at some very nice pictures on your website uh, which is uh, lynnbowman.com and you. the one i have in front of me at the moment uh, it's uh, one of the nice soups oh i can see a brownie so this brownie here so you're telling me there's even there's a donut in front of me there's no yeah. sugar in that donut whatsoever nothing. no nothing uh, how, how do you make the it's donut a, it's a meal uh, I mean, you know, if you if you said to your four year old, here's your breakfast, honey, and your four year old said, I'm not hungry. And then you showed her a donut with pink frosting and sprinkles on it. She's going to eat that. right? She's going to love it. Same with an 85 year old who doesn't love a donut, uh, especially with pink frosting and sprinkles. And no, there's no sugar. The sprinkles have no sugar. The frosting has no sugar. And the donuts are made with some have some chickpea flour in them. A garbanzo bean flour is another way of saying that. Um, but they are a magic combination of uh, things, uh, in some case, vegetables. And again, pumpkin, largely. Pumpkin turns out to be this genius substitute for flour and oil in lots of recipes. It's a great trick. 
and you're getting a vegetable. It is. It's, it's, I mean, look, I'm looking at the pictures here. So, I mean, I can see the mac and cheese. They look delicious. No, they really, really do. And I have to say, I'm quite fussy when I see something in front of me. And uh, all your uh, recipes here, especially with the pictures I can see, they look really they look really tasty. It's kind of annoying Thank because you. there's no sugar in it. It's kind of like kind of just for, just because I'm kind of like, oh, there, there's something, there must be something. But no, there's no sugar. So well, well done, you. <laughs> well, brilliant. you know, yeah, you already know that my background is in getting behavior change, right? I was a yes. communications specialist. So what I figured was you can't get behavior change with grim or ugly. It needs to be pretty and it needs to be approachable. And um, I was asked to include the nutritional information on each recipe, which I'm glad I did because I didn't even understand when I started on this particular book that there are people for example, whose potassium is limited. They, people who have kidney issues have to limit the potassium that they take in every day. So I tried to include anything like sodium, whatever, that might have been prescribed to you um, by your doctor. But a thing I talk about in the book is how, sh- it's shocking really, how inaccurate those nutritional profiles are. When you see them on packages, uh, you you cannot necessarily count on that bag of whatever it is uh, really having that much protein or that little sodium or whatever. It's very hit and miss uh, for a lot of obvious reasons when you think about it. Another thing that people don't really know is that there is a whole industry largely on the East Coast along this certain highway I read, there are a number of buildings full of people who are literally engineering food for, quote, craveability, unquote. Right. Um, yeah. So the, the packaged foods that you buy are designed for you to keep eating them and not be able to stop eating them. I, I find and, that limited potato chips. I find if I have a a small little bag and then it's like oh i want some of that tomorrow again i'll have more tomorrow and then the next day and the craving continues and continues until i feel very sick and nauseous and then the craving stops that's absolutely by design yeah it's kind of crazy when you think about it but that is a great deal of our food supply it's they the the money is to be made when people have to come back to the store and buy a few more bags and and has to they have to have their larder full of those bags of whatever that is and there is nothing even remotely like food in most of those bags and another another thing i i highly recommend to people is reading labels read labels because what you figure out really quickly is if it has a label if it's in a package or a bag and and it has a nutrition label on it, it's probably gonna have sugar in it. And it's probably gonna be the second or third or even first ingredient. Um, Sugar sells food. And nobody looks at the ingredients, right? They just pull that bag off the shelf. Oh, I like these. And they take them. And you have to force people in a way to read the label. And when you do read the label, trust me, you're gonna be shocked at what's in that food 
or quote food, <laughs> the food-like <laughs> substance that you can't stop eating has been designed so that you couldn't stop eating it. And it has nothing to do with nutrition or feeding yourself or, or nourishing yourself in any way. Especially when you're hungry or hangry, as they say, yeah. is that you just immediately you just want to grab the first thing yeah. to get rid of yeah. the initial craving. And then yeah. you're hungry probably two hours later, you eat more rubbish, so to speak. Yep. And it just continues. So tell me this, Lynn, where else can listeners get in touch with you? Are you on the, the uh, Facebookies or is it called Metaverse oh, yes. now? Is it or Meta? Yeah. Is it? Or, yes. or... Uh, if you if you Google me, there are a couple of other Lynn Bowman's out there, but um, my middle name is P-A-R-M-I-T-E-R. So it's Lynn Parmiter Bowman. And that's my Instagram. That's my Facebook uh, and my uh, website, very easy, central place to, to hook into all the rest of it is just lynnbowman.com. But it's L-Y-N-N-E-B-O-W-M-A-N.com. I welcome people's letters and notes and questions. Love it when people get in touch and say, how do I do this? Or why do you go? I am looking forward to a time in the not too distant future, I hope, when I can do some events too, because it's so much fun to meet people who are dealing with uh, these issues. And especially when I think I have ways to help them, I love it. So love to hear from people. And of course, please send me pictures. When you get the book <laughs> and you make things, send me what it looks like. Send me how you did. Uh, that, that makes my life worth living. I love it. It's great fun. Well, when the podcast is published, Lynn, we'll put all the links in for your uh, social media and your website. You. And all that's left to say on behalf of myself, uh, the Wellbeing uh, Career World podcast. Thank you so much to uh, Lynn Bowman for chatting with me today. And don't forget to go out and buy her uh, book. And Eat your all veggies. Book starts. Brownies Eat for breakfast. Veggies. Your veggies. Keep Eat your veggies. Them. Lynn says, "Eat your veggies." So now I'm hooked. I'm, uh, I'm going to get myself a copy of this brownies for breakfast now as well to find out what it's like eating something with no sugar, which is highly unusual. But yet again, thanks so much for Lynn for chatting with me today on the uh, Wellbeing and Criminal Podcast. Thank you. Thank you it's Lynn. been so much fun. Thank you, Lynn.